Kate Wheeler, and you're listening to What She Said on 105.9 The Region, brought to you by Roar Publishing, from concept to content. Christine Bentley is away this week, but you'll hear her in a segment a little bit later on in the show. Sitting in, in case I need help, which most of you know I always do, <laughs> is Brittany Miller, who is our show runner. Hello. So we're kicking off today's show talking to VUCA Innovations CEO, Heather Fraser, who helps organizations create game-changing ideas and strategies to deliver new value through a business design methodology. I cannot say methodology. There we go. She will explain exactly what that is and why it's all the rage. Now, we're also going to be joined by Alison Gordon, the CEO of 48 North Cannabis Company, which is a licensed producer of medical cannabis in Canada. And she's uh, here to talk about changing the mainstream perceptions of cannabis use from a marketing perspective. A tough task, but she's up for it. How are you? How are you with recreational cannabis? Uh, <laughs> what uh, do you is your opinion on it? <laughs> What's your opinion, Brittany? Uh, I think it'll be fine if they start selling it. I think it's about time. A lot of people think it's going to become another problem like tobacco or alcohol. What do you think? Yeah, I I think generally it's going to go down the same way because you can abuse anything. So, mm. Mm. I I, But it also depends on marketing. Like, and we will talk to Alison yeah. Gordon about how exactly she is planning to market it. She was, she's uh, in charge of the Rethink Breast Cancer campaign. Oh. So... Hmm. Interesting segue there. Now, musicologist Eric Alper is talking artists from York region in On the Record. And if you're looking for some last-minute holiday treat ideas, food media specialist Charmaine Broughton has some great treats for you. Award-winning actress, comedian, and writer Marilla Wex, who plays the British news correspondent on The Beaverton, is stopping by. She has no filter. We're going to have, I had, and we don't have any, you know, off switches here. So, but she has a charming accent. So she gets away, away with a lot. Who's in our live studio sessions this evening? Uh, so in our live studio sessions, we have French jazz pop vocalist and songwriter Florence Kay. Um, she's going to be performing a brand new original Christmas song. From her new EP. Absolutely. So and that'll be nice. That'll be good. Now make sure you check out whatshesaidtalk.com where you can find all of our social media links and sign up for our VIP list. Um, you'll see the little subscriber box will, uh, will pop up. And that's because we have some interesting events and things to announce coming up. And that group will hear about them first, even before you hear about it here. So you do the throw. So don't go anywhere. We have a great show for today. Um, you're tuned into What She Said with myself <laughs> and Kate Wheeler on 105.9 The Region. Today's the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. Visit them online today at secondcity.com tc or call 416-340-7270. Everyone needs an edge to compete. At the Chang School of Continuing Education at Ryerson University, our courses and programs will equip you with skills that are in demand in today's workplace. Enroll now at the Chang School at Ryerson University, where ambition meets professionalism. You make me feel I'm alive again. Welcome back to What She Said. VUCA is a Zulu word that means to awaken and stir into action. VUCA Innovation is dedicated to helping organizations create game-changing ideas and strategies to deliver new value through business design methodology. So here to explain exactly what that means is CEO Heather Fraser. So let's tackle the basics first, Heather. Explain what business design means. So business design is a practice that essentially combines uh, design thinking, which is a popular notion these days, with strategy and activation within an organization. Um, design thinking is a an approach to problem solving and innovation that has been quite widely adapted these days that, it, it, that essentially is anchored in 
understanding people, uh, exploring new ideas, experimenting with those, and, and moving those ideas forward in an iter- iterative way. Uh, it's not totally a new notion, but it is something that has um, really come to life in the last uh, couple of decades. Business design adds to that another essential element, which is strategy. How do you how do you scale those ideas that you come up with? How do you uh, turn those into an operation and provide the systems and structures within a company to be able to actually see those ideas come to reality? So it's a combination of design thinking and strategy, essentially. So why is there so much interest in it right now? Well, as we all know, innovation is the name of the game, and that involves exploring new ideas that are outside your current set of considerations. Uh, It's not good enough to be incremental, and it certainly isn't good enough to take uh, 12, 18, 24 months to come up with an idea like the olden days. (laughs) Uh, So companies now need to be quick. They need to be able to open up their thinking to explore new ideas, and that's all part of the innovation process. Um, A lot of companies have found themselves in a situation where they are essentially stuck. If they've become quite successful because they've built these great systems and uh, they've scaled them to, in some cases, a global success, it's hard to break out of that. And so design has become a means to do that. So is is that what you mean by when when you refer to a, a phenomenon of design thinking becoming the fast food of innovation? Yeah, so here's the here's the problem as I see it. Uh, in a world where everyone needs to step outside the norm, find mm. new ways of exploring new ideas. And outside the box, uh, how outside, long have we been hearing outside that? Outside the box. And uh, in, in that world, there a lot of companies are saying, well, what do we do to get going on this? And this notion of design thinking, which has been quite become quite popular in the last couple of decades, um, is a good start. It's about focusing on people. It's about making ideas tangible and prototyping them uh, and about testing them out with, you know, importantly, the people that are going to use them. So that's a good start. The problem is it's not a panacea and it's not the end in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, what can often happen, and I've heard countless stories of this, is a an organization will invest in design thinking. They'll put people through boot camp and they'll give them a quick playbook and it's like, here's three things. So suddenly you look around a company and you see people with sticky notes and listening to stories and prototyping little ideas and working in groups and it's all fun, but it's not enough. And then it, it all kind of hits the wall and the people who uh, have enjoyed that process, that creative and generative process are energized by it, but then they get disappointed when they don't know where it's all going to land and how it plugs back into the operation. At the same time, there's a lot of skeptics on the side saying that design thinking is all fluff. Now, it's not all fluff. It's actually a deep discipline. But when I call it the fast food of innovation, it's that situation in which a company thinks there's a quick hit, get people going on these three little exercises, and suddenly we all become an innovative company. It doesn't work that way. Mm. So what do you do when you go in to a company? How do you help um, them decide to invest in developing design-inspired innovation? Well, there's a number of things you have to do. One is uh, just to start the process, you have to ask yourself, what do you really want to be as an organization, uh, you know, in terms of innovation? What's its role in your business? And uh, I think most most CEOs nowadays are saying, well, we, we have to innovate, period. It's not a stream of activities mm-hmm. that we have to move the whole business ahead. So understanding what does that potential picture look like and what's your ideology as, as an organization? Uh, do you embrace design? Uh, how are you going to make an inclusive process? So really thinking deeply about what you want that organization to look like. The second thing that we do is we measure it. We start from the beginning and say, all right, you want to be innovative? You want to be design-inspired? Let's measure that. So we have an instrument that we use that looks at the whole organization and balances out the the factors, uh, including the business, how aligned are you on the strategy and how does it translate in everybody's jobs? We look at the practices. What is it that you do on a daily basis that uh, gives you that agility and that ability to innovate? Uh, we look at the systems and structures and processes to understand how are you built now and is that 
able to absorb new ideas and get them into the marketplace. And then last is the general mm-hmm. uh, picture of culture. So we, we envision what the future would look like. We measure it. And then we go about a, a process of, uh, of embedding design thinking into an organization. But importantly, doing that with an eye to where does this fit in the whole organization strategy? Is this, is this going to pop out an idea that needs a whole strategy on its own? Is it going to inform the strategy, the future strategy of the enterprise? And then designing, it really ends with designing the organization to adapt to these ideas mm-hmm. and, and rethinking all of those management systems that can either help or hinder new ideas getting to the market. But because you can measure it, the company would see that it's working. You can. You can. What you can measure is you can measure uh, the perception of people are, what are the things that are helping us and what are the things that are getting in our way? Right. So, for example, we don't have a process to get experiments into the marketplace. We are not aligned on our strategy. Uh, we don't take the time to deeply understand customers. So you're measuring the indicators or the drivers of innovation uh, that based on all kinds of history and evidence, both from the real world and the academic world, all of these factors are part of companies that have had a long-term track record of innovation and business success. Now, the next, does the next edition of your book address all, all of this, all the change? It does. It, the the uh, first was one of the, the first edition was one of the first how-to books mm-hmm. and uh, in business, a business application of design. Uh, but I found that all of those things that I've, I've just mentioned were kind of missing. So what this book does is it, it does a few things. One is it looks at the whole organization to say, you got to think about the enterprise because at the end of the day, it takes a whole enterprise to deliver big ideas. Uh, so how do you engage more people? How do you build your capacity? Uh, how do you shift your way of working as an organization? So that's like, that's number one. It's mm-hmm. more emphasis on that. Number two, there's more emphasis placed on uh, analysis and validation. Some say that design is for people who don't like numbers. That's, of course, not true. Uh, you really have to, throughout the process, include data analysis and um and, and validation along the way because ultimately you got to make a business case. So those right. are two themes that are we woven into it. Is there one company we would all know that you think's doing it really well? Uh, yeah, there's there's a, well there's many actually, and they are there are many many companies over decades that have been doing this, um, kind of inherently in just the way they do business in their culture. Uh, you know, you take a company. I'm going to pick, give you two companies. Nike, which has been doing it from day one. It was mm-hmm. founded by an athlete and a coach. And the coach prototype the first shoe on a waffle iron. Mm-hmm. So they, they've been doing this forever. It's part of their organization. I've worked with them. They're deeply committed to their their uh, customer, the athlete, and uh, they're constantly trying new things. Then there's a company, Procter & Gamble, that I also work for that is uh, uh, first class in in running a global business that is efficient and effective and tight with systems, super disciplined. However, they, uh, years ago, decided that design had a bigger potential. So they took on business design and and design thinking as something as a transformation. And they made it uh, all-inclusive. They committed to it. They did it worldwide. They integrated it with strategy and their operations. Awesome. Okay, that's Heather Fraser, the founder and CEO of VUCA Innovation. It's VUCAInnovation.com if you want to uh, connect with Heather. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. This is what she said. We'll be right back. Passion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit KearnsandCo.com. Saturday night at the movies. Saturday night at the movies? Don't know what picture to see? And Brody's got you covered. Did you like the film? 
Uh, no. Oh, we didn't. <laughs> okay. Well, that no. doesn't. I love your honesty. <laughs> Films about paranoia. I think they do us a lot of good because it's not happening to us. <laughs> I took your mom, Romy, who loves a good film. We laughed our socks off. I was so bored watching it. <laughs> a film critic who shoots straight from the hip. Saturdays on What She Said Talk. Welcome back. We've talked about the Ontario government's plan to manage the sale and use of recreational marijuana. But tonight, we're taking a look at the marketing and branding aspect to all of this. Joining us now is Alison Gordon, the CEO of 48 North Cannabis Company, a licensed producer of medical cannabis in Canada. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, you're an expert cannabis marketing strategist. And with the upcoming legalization in Canada next year, you want to change the mainstream perceptions of cannabis use. So tell us about that. Oh, that's, you know, there's there's a lot about cannabis that I think people are starting to learn and realize. So right now we're in a medical system in Canada and the company that I run is licensed by Health Canada and our clients will be patients who have a prescription from their doctor. And there's, you know, we could do a whole segment just on medical cannabis for sure. We've worked with patients who have just seen unbelievable changes in their lives from getting off opioids to helping to manage cancer treatment, all sorts of things. But coming July 1st, we all know Trudeau has said we are going to legalize uh, cannabis, which is very, very exciting. The challenge, of course, from our perspective as the only legal entities that are allowed to be growing and selling cannabis is that we don't 100% understand yet what some of those things will look like, including what you're asking me about marketing and branding and public perception. Right now, we are not allowed to market and brand at all, which makes it all the more creative for me to figure out how we are going to differentiate ourselves amongst our competitors. We're assuming, of course, as we move to legalization, there will be some restrictions, but it won't be necessarily as onerous as a medical system, kind of like pharma. So really what we want to do is have people understand why they should, the first and foremost will be why they should be accessing cannabis through a legal mechanism when right now, and probably into July, you're going to see many illegal dispensaries still out there. So that confusion will be our first order of business in terms of education. So Allison, what is, in your view, Mm -hmm. the mainstream perception of cannabis use? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of issues. I think there is an older generation that believes that cannabis is a gateway drug to heroin and all these other things, of which there's absolutely no evidence. This is just not the case. I mean, we don't really have on record, to my knowledge, any deaths from cannabis. Um, there really isn't any research that shows that somebody starts using cannabis and then they move on to hard drugs. So I think that's something that's changed with a younger generation, but for those of us, including myself, who saw all the ads, this is your brain on drugs and all that kind of stuff, there is this perception around cannabis as this hardcore drug. And then, of course, in the U.S., it's the Schedule One drug, and they had that whole reefer madness out of the William Randolph Hearst mm-hmm. era. And so a lot of that sort of what people call propaganda has, has stayed with that. But then there's this other challenge, which is completely different, which I just spoke to, which is these dispensaries that are popping up everywhere in certain cities throughout Canada. And people think, oh, that's what Trudeau's talking about, though. That's the legalization. And that's really not what the dispensaries are. They're something else. um, And many are trying to be part of a legal system. But right now, that's not actually legal or regulated. So part of this is misconception that we're all the same, not understanding that companies like mine are licensed and regulated by Health Canada. We're growing to almost a pharmaceutical grade in terms of there's no metals, heavy metals, no molds, no pesticides. We're highly regulated. Now, well, actually, two out of three of the you know local shops have closed in, in my neighborhood because right. they figured that, I mean, I think they were trying to be ahead of the game because they thought it was going to be legalized and when they found out that it wasn't in that sense for them mm-hmm. as distributors um, and that it'll be done just through the, what's well, 40? 
40 shops now? I don't. Know. It keeps changing. I think they've identified 15 locations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first of all. Um, but uh, parents are expressing concern. Right. So when do you think we should be educating our children about cannabis and how do we position Right. So I have two boys, 12 and 14. I've been working in the industry for four years. So I've been having to speak to them since they were, I guess, you know, 10 and eight. And we were in a medical system that was a lot easier conversation. It's something that you get a prescription from your doctor. It's treating certain illnesses. Now we're moving to the recreational side. And I understand many parents think, well, this is just legitimizing cannabis for young people. And if the government's saying it's okay, how are we going to say that they can't or they can? And I mean, I would say first and foremost that Cannabis, marijuana, it's not something that's been very difficult to get prior to legalization. So if it's something that your teenager was going to do, they Mm -hmm. could pretty easily get access to it. So the conversation is probably the same on the front of wanting to talk to them about brain development, understanding how to be careful in what they do. But what legalization does that's really helpful to parents is there is actually a mechanism by which you aren't your kids aren't going into neighborhoods or dark alleys or places that they would go before to get cannabis that there will be people like at the LCBO regulating the age of people coming in plus there is as i said regulations around what is actually in the cannabis that you're buying when you buy it from a legal mechanism like a licensed producer like 48 North. So right now there was a report that there was fentanyl in some Mm -hmm. cannabis. I don't know whether this is true or not true, but knowing what's in your cannabis and more importantly, what you're actually buying. So the dosages or the percentages of THC, you can have those conversations with your kids and say, if this is something that, or your teenager, I should say, if this is something that you're thinking about, let's sit down and talk. There are different types of cannabis. Some aren't as strong as others. Again, you want to think about brain development and the recommended ages, but we want to talk about if you're going to be doing this anyways, what is the right way to do it? And let's be open and have that dialogue. Now, you, uh, the regulations around distribution and marketing of recreational cannabis yes. are still up in the air. Yes. Uh, but the government has proposed some restrictions on advertising. Uh, what are they? And do you think this will make it harder for buyers uh, to educate themselves? I do worry about that. We don't know 100% what that's going to look like. But I agree with you. There's, we just, as I just Mm. said, there's many different strains. Some have very high levels of THC, THC being the cannabinoid that has a psychoactive event, um, effect. You have CBDs, which is another cannabinoid that a lot of people have been talking about, which has no psychoactive effects and is very good for inflammation and all sorts of other things. And when you balance the two, that can help people not get knocked down or feel too high or have their heart race. So I believe it's very important that we're going to be able to educate consumers about cannabis and what its benefits could be and what might be the right choice for you. And that actually could be very helpful to people's experience with it. Whether or not the government's going to let us do that, we just don't know. Well, I mean, this this changing perceptions isn't something new to you because you were the co-founder and executive vice president of Rethink Breast Cancer. Yes. Do you find any similarities between the two industries and what you have to do? It's funny, yeah. I mean, 100%. When we started Rethink Breast Cancer, we were decided we wanted to engage young people in the cause, which nobody was doing, and work with young women with breast cancer. And we had decided, you know what, we're not really going to be about pink ribbons and runs and all of those things. We wanted to modernize the movement. And when I started looking at the cannabis industry about eight years ago, I thought somebody needs to rebrand cannabis the way we've rebranded breast cancer. Now I recognize maybe I was a bit naive in terms of how (laughs) that was going to go by way of government regulation. But I think there's a lot of similarities there. There's 
one way that cannabis has been going. And we're living in a really exciting time if you step back and think about it. I mean, our children are our children's children. It's kind of like alcohol prohibition. They're not going to remember mm -hmm. the stigma that was attached to cannabis. And I think with Rethink Breast Cancer, we were absolutely doing the same thing, trying to bring to light that young women also get breast cancer and have special needs and, and needed the support of the community and the government as well. What's next for 48 North? Well, we are just taking down our crops and we are about to file for our sales amendment to our license. So we'll be out there. And obviously we're again in this medical market until July 1st. So a lot of this is about how do we build out and there's tons of mergers and acquisitions and we saw Constellation Brands, an alcohol company, come in and do a big purchase of one of our competitors. So... To say what's next is, it's like, what's next for this afternoon, really? Because the industry just moves at an insane pace. And again, sort of drawing on what I had just said before, it's not just that the industry is exciting and and that the consumer out there is going to have lots of choices. It's like half thousands of people and millions upon mm -hmm. millions of dollars are pouring in. So it's kind of like, what's not next, really? Pretty exciting. It's very exciting, but at the same time, it's hard to know where to move when we don't yet have utter clarity on what recreation will look like. So you're kind of throwing spaghetti at some of the walls <laughs> and trying to have a good strategy at the same time. Well, Allison, thank you so much for joining us this thank evening and helping us sort of understand a little bit. And we'll have to have you back as the for landscape sure. and the regulations change and we find out more. I would love to come back. This is what she said. We'll be right back. Do you remember when you first fell in love with reading? Well, you weren't really reading, were you? No, your passion for books began quite another way. It was listening, wasn't it? To a story. Yes, your love of reading really got started when you were being read to. Kobo introduces audiobooks for the free Kobo app with a beautifully designed, easy-to-use player, one home for all your audiobooks and ebooks. Book lovers can listen to their heart's content for as little as $12.99 per month with subscription, and with a 30-day free trial, you get your first audiobook free. Sign up now at Kobo.com. Today's the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. Visit them online today at secondcity.com slash TC or call 416-340-7270. Fashion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit kernsandco.com. Fear of missing out? FOMO flies out the door when you listen to Lena. Who knew? I hope everyone will know by the end of this segment. Every time you come in, you have such great news to share with us. Oh, thank you. I love sharing great news. Yes, I want everyone to know about it because it is such a great cause. I almost had tears in my eyes. Yeah. It is phenomenal. OMG. OMG. <laughs> Join What She Said Weekends and find out what lifestyle blogger Lena Almeida is loving. Welcome back to What She Said. This week in On The Record, brought to you by Roar Records, Eric Alper is celebrating our move to 105.9 The Region by talking about artists who are from York Region. And that was Kim Richardson. Welcome. This is so great. You're in my hood. Yeah, I live here. So I, if I sung, I would actually be talking about me. But We've heard you sing, and we thank you not. And we thank you not. Exactly. So let's talk about people who are from the glorious municipality. 
of York Region. This is so great. That's Kim Richardson, of course, and she comes from a family of talented singers, actors, and musicians, and she knew very early on that she wanted to get into the arts. She started dance lessons at age six, performed at her first school play at age seven, and age 14, she signed on to play in the clubs, and uh, by age 18, she signed a two-year contract with the record label and won a Juno Award for the Most Promising Female Vocalist of the Year in 1986. And she is right here from York Region. Awesome. Now that was Three Days Grace. Yeah, that's Three Days Grace, and they've had phenomenal success. And the lead singer, Adam Gonter, is actually from Markham, Ontario. He lived here for a number of years before his parents' divorce, which caused not only stress in his life, but got him a lot of songwriting abilities. So um, a lot of the a lot of his growing up in teenage years happened in Markham, Ontario, where uh, he started writing songs, met the rest of the band, and Three Days Grace has gone on to perform songs that were hitting number one on the alternative chart on Billboard. They've sold about four million records around the world. And Adam Gontier is from Markham, Ontario, right here in York Region. Woot woot! Oh my goodness, I had no idea Ben Hepner was from York Region. I didn't know that either until I sat down with him a couple of weeks ago and told him that I was doing this segment. He said, well, I'm from York Region. And I said, where are you from? He's like, he's from Markham, Ontario. He was born on the east, on the, on the west coast of Canada, moved here, and now lives um, in Toronto. But of course, Ben is one of the most prominent dramatic tenors in music history. He's performed all over Europe, including with the New York Metropolitan Opera, and now lives in Toronto, and uh, kind of retired from singing, but Markham, Ontario, you can claim him as your own. Lovers in a dangerous time Okay, okay, I am obviously just totally unaware because the Bare Naked Ladies are from York Region? The Bare Naked Ladies are kind of from York Region because right now we're in Scarborough. It's it's kind of... We're on the border. You're on the border. So right now I'm sitting on the border. I'm on the York Region part and you're on the Scarborough part, <laughs> even though they were two feet away from one another. But the Bare Naked Ladies are actually from Scarborough. They mentioned the um, the that... Uh, part of Toronto in a number of songs and of course when they broke it in 1991 when they first released their cassette tape it was the first independent release ever to be certified gold in Canada which is 50,000 copies a huge achievement that not many bands have done and they are from Scarborough Region Slight cheat Okay, they were definitely born to be wild. Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. Yeah, Dennis Edmondson and Jerry Edmonton, they're members of the, the band Steppenwolf. Um, Dennis is the songwriter of Born to be Wild, and they're brothers, and they actually changed their name from McCronin to Edmonton to make it sound a little bit more Canadian. But they are actually both from York Region. Um, uh, they had a number of hits through Steppenwolf. Um, they don't necessarily live here now, but of course, Born to be Wild is marked as the first heavy metal song in music history and the first song to mention heavy metal thunder in their lyrics as well. And that's where the name heavy metal actually comes from, even though that they were talking about not necessarily the style of music, but just the feeling of rocking out with a motorcycle on the highway in York Region, Ontario. The amazing brain of Eric Alper and the facts he knows. It's because I'm from York Region. <laughs> everybody from York Region is amazing, <laughs> including the Region 105.9. Uh, you don't say the point. It's just 105.9. I, I have been educated. Really? Yeah, 105.9. 105.9. You know what? We say valuable seconds so we can talk more about music. Absolutely. Well, On the Record is brought to you by Roar Records. Download Rise by Elise Saunders. It's based on the heroic story of Pan Am medalist and Olympian Jessica Phoenix. It's on iTunes and Spotify. Right now. 
Welcome back to What She Said. Well, our favorite foodie, Charmaine Broughton, is back. And today she's brought some last-minute holiday bites and a sweet treat for Santa. Yes. Welcome, Charmaine. Thank you so much for having me. We can't forget uh, the jolly old man in red, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, and the fabulous thing about the three recipes I'm going to be talking about today is, you know, whether you are doing hosting maybe a sophisticated party over the next couple of days or weeks, um, or you're maybe having a little bit more casual function, or um, mm-hmm. you're looking for a nice little treat for kids, um, these recipes from Walmart have you covered. And the wonderful thing about all of these recipes is, you know, if you're at your local Walmart Supercenter anyhow, picking up maybe a George sweater or stocking stuffers or whatever mm-hmm. it may be, um, you know, get in there and grab your groceries as well, because all of these recipes will come in at less than a dollar seventy-five per portion uh, when purchased at Walmart. So that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, you know, so not only for your stocking stuffers and and so on, but for groceries as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the first recipe uh, is the uh, puff pastry canapes, and um, there's there's two ways uh, uh, to do these. So um, you want to purchase your, your box of puff, of puff pastry, excuse me. And the great thing about puff pastry now is about maybe uh, five or six years ago, the, the companies got on board and they got a little bit clever because people were painfully rolling out mm-hmm. those squares of, pu- of puff pastry. Uh, but now most brands make them pre-rolled right? Like literally pre-rolled oh, and then they're, they're rolled. For I you. haven't used used them in years. So oh. that's, that's good. Maybe I will too mm-hmm. go back to that. So you just purchase them and then defrost them and you want to lay them out on your baking sheet and cut each uh, piece into 16. And you want to score them a wee bit. So when you do bake them off, they don't totally poof up. They almost stay like a little mini toast, right? Okay. So you're going to pre-bake the uh, puff pastry. And then when it comes out of the oven and cools, one of the baking sheets you are going to garnish with some ricotta cheese and some sliced pear and some walnuts and then a drizzle of honey. So it's, um, you, you know, you've got that whole sweet and, and, and savory mm-hmm. um, bite happening, which is divine. Why do I always get hungry when Charmaine <laughs> is here? <laughs> okay, go on. Uh, and then the other option with the puff uh, pastry toasts, I'll call them, they're like little um, toasts, is with the ricotta and then some sun-dried tomatoes and some arugula. So the arugula is really peppery and then, you know, the the softness of the ricotta and like that, that um saltiness of the uh, sun-dried tomatoes. So two really nice mm-hmm. kind of sophisticated uh, hors d'oeuvres if you're hosting maybe a more um, upscale cocktail party. And then if you're hosting a more casual function. Or just the family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or you just want to, you know, have some fun in the kitchen. Um, the twist on avocado toast. So as we kind of know now, avocados are like all the rage. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so if, you go on, if you go on Instagram, it's like every post. Uh, it's not Kim Kardashian anymore. It's avocado. I, <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, I was ahead of the curve on this because right? I grew up in Australia and we had an avocado tree in the backyard. Uh-huh. So my go-to breakfast was, uh, and we had a lemon tree. Yeah. So oh, my go- go-to was combo. avocado on toast with a squeeze of lemon and some hot sauce. Oh, I love it. Uh, I was like, and we're talking like the 70s kids, so it's uh-huh. a long time ago. <laughs> well, and here we are 40 years later making them into uh, little hors d'oeuvres, right? Mm-hmm. With with that flavor combination. Oh, so, really? Right. So we've got the avocado and then we've got some diced tomato, some frozen corn. It's almost like a chunky uh, guacamole um, with a little bit of uh, lemon and, and, and chili powder. You're going to mix that all together. You're going to uh, lay out your phyllo pastry uh, uh, this time and um, put a dollop on each corner after you cut it into squares and then fold them into little corners and then with, with, with your egg wash. And I will put all the recipes and step-by-step instructions on, Thank on the you. blog. Thank you. I need the step-by-step <laughs> instructions. <laughs> and then the dip for this one is phenomenal. So it's some sour cream with cilantro uh, and a little bit of lemon again. Um, so it's absolutely delicious. So again, this is great for a more... Um, uh, casual function. Uh, and then for child friendly or the Santa treat are the, um, 
the ginger molasses reindeer cookies. So uh, it's almost like a chewier uh, a gingerbread cookie, but then to make them really fun and, you know, grab the kids and get in the kitchen and, and, and have them help you uh, uh, decorate them. Uh, so the, the ears for these reindeer cookies are pretzels. And then um, at Walmart, you can buy the little uh, eyeball <laughs> sprinkle things. Oh, right, all right. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, and for the nose is just a red candy. And you, yeah, so you want to do that uh, after you bake them off. And they just make a, a lovely, delicious, and super fun and festive uh, Santa cookie or, or, or to put out at a family party. Every every time we left cookies out for Santa, yeah. Santa Daddy seemed to ah. <laughs> be walking past the fireplace and the cookies would disappear. Ah. So the kids would uh, would keep him online. Now, we are going to have all these recipes up on whatshesaidtalk.com, but mm-hmm. where else can people go to learn more about you and all yeah. your fabulous foodie stuff? Sure. So they can go to my website, charmybroughton.com, and again, all of my social media handles are there. Uh, and to find more awesome recipes, you can go to walmart.ca. Uh, there's, I mean a plethora of amazing recipes to help you out over your holiday season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, happy holidays to you. Thank you so much. And to you and, and all the listeners. And we'll see you soon. Um, this is What She Said, and we will be right back here at 105.9 The Region. Do you remember when you first fell in love with reading? Well, you weren't really reading, were you? No, your passion for books began quite another way. It was listening, wasn't it? To a story. Yes, your love of reading really got started when you were being read to. Kobo introduces audiobooks for the free Kobo app with a beautifully designed, easy-to-use player, one home for all your audiobooks and ebooks. Book lovers can listen to their heart's content for as little as $12.99 per month with subscription, and with a 30-day free trial, you get your first audiobook free. Sign up now at Kobo.com. Today's the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. Visit them online today at secondcity.com tc or call 416-340-7270. Fashion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit kernsandco.com. <laughs> Want to know more about the music and the musicians you love? Today we're talking about five bands that have been at it for a very long time. The entire album was recorded over three weekend sessions for a cost of $6,000. Whenever I do an impression of Bob Dylan, that's the only line that I do. Tangle up in blue. That's, that's it. And you that's, do it. That's very all I do. Well. I can't do it again. Do it again. Tangle up in blue. <laughs> what that Eric Alper knows will spin your head Sundays on What She Said Talk. Joining us now is a woman with absolutely no filter, so be warned. <laughs> Award-winning actress and comedian Marilla Wax is in studio today. Welcome to What She Said, Marilla. Thank you so much. I'll try not to swear. <laughs> it's, I think it's virtually impossible from what I've heard. But I'm anyway, so sorry. That's okay. You are on a roll. Correspondent for the Beaverton, the CBC web series How to Buy a Baby, and you do swear like a trooper, but get away with it due to your charming accent. I should have kept mine. So you I, should. I should have get away with it too. Um, but seriously, how much do you get away with before because of the accent? Um, they on the Beaverton specifically, they do give me the worst things to say. <laughs> um, I literally have had pieces that other correspondents have said. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this, and I'm like, I'll do it. Um, so that's that's <laughs> m- the main benefit of not having a filter, mm-hmm. and also being an immigrant. I think I get a special pass to say terrible things about. Canadian issues and managed to, even though I am Canadian now, 
uh, and I get away with it. So yeah, because you you emigrated here in what two thousand and five with your with your husband. No, I married. uh, Yes, I married a Canadian, so that was my excuse to come into the country. Mm. Yes, (laughs) it was the best between Brexit and. Trump, it's the best decision ever made <laughs> to be in Canada. Yeah, I, I agree, except for the winters. I, I think no, I, they suck. <laughs> they they do. wholeheartedly suck. And the only problem with being on the Beaverton is I have to film in the winter. And the previous job I had was on rain, where I was filming on location in the winter. So I have not had an escape <laughs> from the winter in the last seven years. Ah, well. So how did the Beaverton role come about? I got a phone call from my agent who said, you have to audition for this. So I told production on Rain that I had a doctor's appointment um, because we were coming to the end of uh, recording for the season. So I had an early, I had a first thing appointment and literally the production team auditioned every comedian, sketch comic uh, and improviser in Canada, literally hundreds and hundreds. Um... And we had two scripts to choose from, and one was a uh, a piece from the uh, anchor, and one was a correspondent piece. And I particularly enjoyed the correspondent piece because it was set in Israel, uh, and I have a, a professionally Jewish family, so I <laughs> a professionally Jewish. Yes, family. they are professional Jews. Uh, so I shoehorned because they said do whatever you want with the script. Okay. So I shoehorned as much Yiddish as I could into it and inside jokes, and then delivered it to the casting director. And it's the first time in 25 years I've had a standing ovation from a casting director. So I thought that went well. And, uh, <laughs> And then I waited five weeks, which for a callback is a horrifically long I was going to say, and then you were thinking, maybe it no, didn't, I didn't go that no, well. No, I suck. Uh, and, and then I've, I saw the casting direction. She said, you're still in the running. Uh, it's a very long process where they're literally seeing everybody. And then five weeks later, I got a recall. and It was the same thing. It was, it was, a, it was just one piece that we could uh, make our own. So I rewrote it again. And it was about drugs. So I had to look up a lot of drug references because I am the oldest cast member. And uh, I don't really know what the kids say now. So I had to figure out what all the words were for uh, drugs. And uh, that was a panel audition in front of the producers, the executive producers, the creator of the Beaverton, the casting director, like the showrunner. It was very terrifying. And they laughed at all my jokes. And uh, and then... It was another five weeks. <laughs> I nearly had a nervous breakdown. And, um, and then eventually I, I got the phone call, yes, you've booked it. And so we filmed a pilot and then it was a six-month wait to be greenlit for the series. Uh, so it was an excruciating process. And thank God it all went well. Oh, thank God. But I, I want to know, like, what is the cutoff for comedy in these super sensitive times? I mean, it, I mean, particularly with Trump and right. the Me Too right. uh, hashtag. I mean, everyone. I mean, personally, I'm worried about a huge backlash mm-hmm. against against women that might sort mm-hmm. of undo all the good that has been done mm-hmm. with this. But when it comes to comedy, um, I mean, we've seen some comedians get into a whole lot of trouble uh, lately. But but where do you draw the line? I don't have a line. Um, <laughs> there we go. I don't have. And to be fair, I haven't done a lot of stand-up in the last couple of years because uh, I've been very lucky and earned real money doing television jobs. So I haven't. Uh, I haven't had to try and earn tens of dollars doing stand-up. Um, and to be honest, personally, I stay away from political stuff because it's not my wheelhouse. My stuff is usually about foolish things that happen to my dogs, and, and I just shoehorn some swears in for comic relief. And I pull faces a lot. It's really very cheap. Um, But uh, the difficulty with people like Donald Trump is that they are so larger than life that to satirize them becomes almost impossible because a lot of the things that he says and he tweets and he does and the Republican Party in general are so ridiculous that it's hard to to take that to another level. Um, I think we've done very well, specifically on the Beaverton with the Me Too stuff. The writers have not shied away from it. We have a a pretty strong female presence in the writer's room and on the uh, acting team. It's predominantly women. And so there's no way we won't uh, touch that and handle it. And I think what we've done is 
is really good and really biting. And uh, I think that's what sets The Beaverton apart from other satirical political shows is because we're on cable, we can say and do things that perhaps wouldn't be okay on the CBC. So we, we're darker and... If I can say this, we have more balls than those other TV shows. Our satire mm-hmm. definitely has teeth. And so we will not shy away from those particular topics. I loved the Beaverton when it first started. Mm-hmm. And those posts were coming up on Facebook. And people were commenting like it was real news. Oh. And I, I, do people not get satire? God bless. Has that stopped? Yes. Although, now that we seem to be being uh, seen... Um, outside of Canada because uh, the YouTube pieces that are posted Mm -hmm. are not geo-specific so you can see them in the States and in in the UK there has been uh, last week there was a Snopes uh, piece about the piece we wrote about Palestine recognizing um, parts of Texas that they were Mexican (laughs) and obviously enough Americans had googled this that Snopes wrote a piece about our piece saying the Beaverton is a political satirical uh, website it's not to be taken seriously and this is not a thing that has actually happened so I think we're now if you're on Snopes if we're on Snopes.com if you don't know it's a wonderful website for clearing up Mm -hmm. Um, all these internet rumors and, and stories. I always go to Snopes. Right, me too, to be- fact check. To fact check yes. before, I, before I post. Right. Now, the Beaverton has an upcoming holiday year in review special. When does that air? Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm allowed to talk about it because <laughs> up until about two hours ago, the producers were like, no, the press release has not dropped. You may not talk about it. Yes, we have a uh, an hour-long special uh, called 2017. Um, uh, I think it's called sad but true or something like that anyway it's just a year in review that sounds about right <laughs> yes I mean it really is somebody already tweeted at me why would someone want to put themselves through this and I said I, I don't know maybe for comedy reasons just spitballing um, that person has probably blocked me on Twitter now because uh, I responded comically to the fairly serious tweet um, yeah we're doing a year in review that's going to air at 10 o'clock on CTV on New Year's Eve so even if you don't have cable you'll be able to watch that and then it's going to air again on New Year's Day at 10 on comedy and then the day after that it will be on the comedy network.ca so then everybody inside of canada will be able to watch it <laughs> yes my friends and family will not no sadly. no i know i hate that this has been blocked in your country or the owner has not made it available in your country that's right you need to get those other other ways you can get around them yes i'm not allowed to talk about those no, ways no i i understand that <laughs> but tell us how people can follow you and connect with you obviously Me you're on twitter yes all of my handles are the exact same which is uh marilla wax so that's uh if you i don't know if you guys have show notes but um my there's only one marilla wax so uh if you google marilla wax you will find me on the twitter and the instagram and now, just before we go, I yes. need to confirm a fact. Oh, God. Um, well, I don't know. Because Do I need to know things? Well, apparently, according to someone I know that knows you, Uh-oh. you went to school with James Bond, drama school. I didn't go to drama school with James Bond. Uh, here are my two most famous friends, very briefly. I was in the National Youth Theatre with Dan Craig, and um, I have well, a, he's James Bond. He is James Bond, but that's not... It's The National Youth Theatre was sort of like a very uh, exclusive... Uh, summer school for actors and so we we've known each other since we were 17 18 Uh so yes I sort of I I, we were never in shows together but we did hang out and off mic I will tell you a funny story about that (laughs) it's a bit too saucy I'm afraid I can't possibly tell you on mic well good timing because we have to go now (laughs) so I'm going to just stay here and talk to Marilla and this is what she said we'll be right back I'll tell you later you remember when you first fell in love with reading? Well, you weren't really reading, were you? No, your passion for books began quite another way. It was listening, wasn't it? To a story. Yes, your love of reading really got started when you were being read to. Kobo introduces audiobooks for the free Kobo app with a beautifully designed, easy-to-use player, one home for all your audiobooks and ebooks. Book lovers can listen to their heart's content for as little as $12.99 per month with subscription, and with a 30-day free trial, you get your first audiobook free. Sign up now at Kobo.com. 
Today's the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. Visit them online today at secondcity.com slash TC or call 416-340-7270. Everyone needs an edge to compete. At the Chang School of Continuing Education at Ryerson University, our courses and programs will equip you with skills that are in demand in today's workplace. Enroll now at the Chang School at Ryerson University, where ambition meets professionalism. What you are listening to is A New Christmas by French jazz pop vocalist and songwriter Florence Kay. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you for having me today. Now that song's from your brand new EP by the same name and it's sung in both English and French. Mm -hmm. Why did you want to record a Christmas EP? It was actually a a surprise in my life, that Christmas EP. uh, I recorded a a Christmas album, a full Christmas album uh, seven years ago in Cuba. Uh, with Cuban musicians and so I did not need to put out a Christmas record I already have one but um, back in September my friend Vince DiGiorgio and I were um, doing some writing you know writing Mm -hmm. sessions and we came up with those two Christmas tunes uh, Santa's Almost Here and um, Your Christmas to Me and then my friend Steffi Schuck DJ producer singer from Montreal uh, the following week, week sent me a song saying, hey, I wrote a Christmas song. Would you like to sing it? And we're like, okay, so I have three Christmas songs that kind of just <laughs> popped up in my life. Why don't we record a Christmas EP? It's meant to be. Right. So, you know, it just happened. <laughs> and you, and then you, it was sort of a family affair because you yeah. invited your two younger sisters to sing yes. uh, back, backing vocals on yes. four of the tracks. That must have been fun. Oh, yeah. They're so much fun. I love working with them. Uh, we are uh, singing a lot together. They have their own projects. I have, of course, my own career, but we love getting together mm-hmm. and doing music there. They're 17 and 20 year olds. Oh, wow. Little. Now, with the new year coming up, what's what's coming up for you? So I am, first of all, going to take two weeks off. <laughs> and then I'm going to, I'm, I'm working on a Harry Belafonte tribute album with uh, oh, Alex Cuba, David Miles, Warren Spicer, Katie Moore. Um, and it's a record that uh, my friend Nick Petrosky and I have produced and arranged with those artists. Mm-hmm. It's going to be out in the spring. Awesome. Now, where can people find A New Christmas? Online. Online? So we went online. We decided not to print any copies um, for uh, environmental friendly reasons. Mm -hmm. And also because it's only, well, it's six songs. So you can just uh, find them on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, um, Internet my website they're there uh, okay. people and can listen to what's them what's your website so florencek.com florencek.com how yes. easy was that well thank you so much for joining us happy holidays thanks same to you what she said we'll be back next Saturday and Sunday at noon on 105.9 The Region uh, be sure to find all of our social media links at whatshesaidtalk.com but right now singing us out and playing the keyboard in our live studio sessions here's Florence K with Santa's Almost Here There's sleigh bell sounds up in the air Spreading holiday cheers It feels like Santa's almost here When the snowfall comes My winter's dreams have just begun Spreading holiday cheers It feels like Santa's almost here City streets light up The kids stay up They can get to sleep Cause they all see memories of everything he will bring us high above the clouds my heartbeat feels your love around me just like the ice is crystal clear I know that Santa's almost here 
lights light up The kids stay up They can't get to sleep Cause they all see memories of everything Wondering what he will bring Cause far above the clouds My heartbeat feels your love around me Just like the ice is crystal clear I know that Santa's almost I know that Santa's almost I know that Santa's almost here Santa's almost here Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.